The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Robert Green Ingersoll once said, In our era, the road to holiness necessarily passes through the world of action. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts by way of email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's our subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, you're a Christian, but are you holy? Our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Okay, so the question again, you're a Christian, but are you holy? Christianity is confusing. There are so many brands to choose from in so many ways that we're shown to express it. For some of us, Christianity is saving the world here and now. For others, it's being charitable and kind. Then there are those who say that following Jesus is for our own personal peace and heart uh, and mind. Still, others proclaim that being a Christian is all about being blessed in basket and in store. So folks, when we look at our Christianity in a practical way, do you sometimes feel like you're just going through the motions? Then a logical excuse creeps in. Well, you know, I live a busy life. I'm doing what I can. So how do you figure holiness out? In segment two, we're going to reveal how the Old Testament holiness actually worked and it is attainable. In segment three, we're going to look at some New Testament people who were shockingly not called holy. Another question for you. Do you ever feel like you have to be a well-known minister, leader, or a pastor in a big church to be truly holy? Stay tuned for segments four and five as we continue with some amazing truths about who is holy before God, why they are holy before him, and how to keep that stand intact. So the big question with all of these approaches is simple. Where does being holy fit in? Let's take a step further back to basics. What does it even mean to be holy? Unfortunately, a strong biblically-based answer to this question is sadly lacking in the lives of many who follow Christ. While grasping holiness is not an easy task, we fortunately have God's own word to help us understand. Okay, and so we need to get through and understand holiness. We're going to look at where holiness started in the Bible, what was truly the very first holy thing. That's the first major thing, Jonathan, we want to get into. But as we get that started, let's jump. We're going to start in the Old Testament, but let's jump to the New Testament. Let's just contradict what I just said, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's jump to the New Testament and words for holy and saints and sanctify. Those words are all very, very closely related. There's really three words, Jonathan. The first one is kind of the base word, and the next two are built off of it. So just run through quickly. What does that first base word for holiness mean? Well, it means sacred, physically pure, 
morally blameless or religious, ceremonial and consecrated. Okay, so it's it's very it's a very holy word. Okay, something sacred and pure and blameless, uh, religious, ceremonially consecrated, set apart. What's the next word? To make holy, that is ceremonial, purify or consecrate, mentally to venerate. Okay, so there's more an action there versus describing a thing or a person in the first word. In the third word. Purification, that is the state, purity, concretely by Hebrewism, a purifier. Okay, so when you think of an air purifier... You know, you think of something that makes the air so it has, doesn't have anything in it that's contaminated. So the idea for holiness is to take out that which might contaminate. So it really is a very set-apart kind of a thing. You know, there's an interesting word that is in, in, in these definitions that, Jonathan, you and I use a lot in our, in our normal, everyday Christian verbiage, and we talk about consecrate. And this is where we get that word from. Consecrate is to be set apart, is to be made holy. So we're going to be getting into all of that. As we go through the idea of holiness, and, and again, the question, question, the question is, you're a Christian, but are you holy? We want to understand holiness. So we're going to have several honoring holiness statements throughout the podcast. What's our first one? The concept of holiness describes sanctity, a purifying and setting apart for God. Sanctity. When you think of something that, that, that has sanctity, it really is, I don't know, I think of reverence when I think of something like that. Mm, yeah, definitely. You know, something just high and different and, and away from everything else. All right. So that gives us a little bit of groundwork. What about the very first biblical appearance of something holy or sanctified. You know, and this is interesting to me, Jonathan, because it happens really kind of near the beginning, doesn't it? It does. Genesis <laughs> chapter 2. That's quick. That is quick. That's right on top of it. Okay, let's go to that. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now, that's in the Old Testament, so that is using a different word than the ones we described, but it's very, 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 very similar. What is the definition for that one? Uh, basically, Rick, ceremonial, morally clean. Okay, ceremonially clean. God set the seventh day apart by pronouncing it ceremonially clean. You know, he didn't have to pronounce it morally clean because God is morally mm -hmm. clean. Absolutely. But he he did something very strange, you, you might think, because God is a creative being. And when he finished the creation, the physical creation of the earth and all of the things around it and how it all works, he set down his work and he rested and he set that seventh day as a time of ceremonial sanctity and rest to sit back from the work. And you think, well, wait, God doesn't need to rest. You're right, he doesn't. He, he really doesn't. 
I mean, I've never talked to him about it, but I would assume that <laughs> he has got this thing all un- under control. But he did that for a very specific purpose, and we're going to see that unfold later on. But it's interesting. The very first thing that God makes holy is the seventh day. And again, just by way of statement, we don't believe the creative days in Genesis were 24-hour days. No. Okay. No. A day, this is a different study, is a period of time, and they were, you know, we're talking millions of years for, for this whole process to, to unfold. So, anyway, so you've got this setting aside of this seventh day. Let's go to a soundbite from the, uh, the Bible Project on holiness. And it's interesting. We're going to jump forward now in time, and he's gonna be, they're going to be talking about Moses and the temple. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure. And so what we're going to find is there is a lot of the Old Testament that really is built around ritual purity, and and that's part of holiness in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at the Old Testament first and see what holiness looked like, and then we're going to compare it to the New Testament. And there are some similarities, but there are some really amazing differences. So, Jonathan, let's look at Moses and some of his experiences The final plague against Egypt was the death of their firstborn while God delivered Israel's firstborn. And we remember that because they had to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, and that's the night of the Passover and all of that. So in preparation for all of that, here's what happens. Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast. It belongs to me. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. So they're getting ready for this massive exodus, and God tells Moses to tell the people to sanctify, and that's the same word that was that God used to set apart, to ceremonially make clean the seventh day, sanctify the firstborn of all of Israel. They are mine, essentially. So he is putting this, this big uh, requirement in place as they are being delivered from years and years and years and decades and decades and decades of slavery. And that is to set the firstborn apart. You think, you know, what's, what's up with that? God has a reason for everything. And what we will see is that ceremonial setting apart played a major role in understanding where holiness was going to go and what it was going to mean to them. So the firstborn were now gods. 
having been bought with what? The lamb's blood. The blood, yeah, on the doorpost. The blood is what delivered the firstborn. Let's not forget that. We're going to come back to that several times um, as you go through the next couple of segments. So we started with God setting apart the seventh day after his creative work. And now he says, set apart to me the firstborn. This is when they are being delivered from slavery. Once they're delivered, we're going to jump down to Exodus 19. The people had to, the people themselves now had to be sanctified to be able to go before God. So it wasn't just enough for the firstborn to have been sanctified. Now there's something even more. Exodus 19, verses 10 and 11. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So this is interesting because now you have God saying to Moses, you consecrate the people. Now he said, you, 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 you tell the people that, uh, to, to consecrate the firstborn. But now he says to Moses, look, get them ready. It's like saying to them almost, you know, take a massive uh, ritual bath, if you will to be clean before God. And he says, do it today and tomorrow, because on the third day, I'm going to meet with them. So you got this process. It's not just, okay, I'm going to change the way I'm thinking now. I'm now going to think holy. That's not what it was. It was this whole building process toward getting ready to be before God. Make them acceptable for God to come in their presence. See, now that's huge. Because for them to be acceptable before God, that's essentially what holiness is. And if we're Christians, we got to figure out what it is we should be doing and saying and thinking and all of those things so we can be acceptable before God. Not acceptable before the pastor of our church or before our friends or our neighbors or those folks that we go to church with, but acceptable before God. This is, this is big stuff here. So not only do the people need to be consecrated, set apart, and made ready. But even the priesthood needed to be clean to be able to go before God. And that's in Exodus 19, just a few more verses down, verse 22. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. You see the difference here? He says, the priests who come near to the Lord, they should consecrate themselves. So they are already supposed to know a little bit better than the rest. Moses is responsible to get the people ready, but the priesthood is responsible for themselves because they're already supposed to be a couple of steps ahead in terms of getting ready to go before God. So, you know, how how would they do that? You know, for the Old Testament, it was through washing and through sacrifice. It was there was it was rituals, continual Rituals. So our honoring holiness point here in terms of Moses and some of the things that happened in Exodus. God's message from the cradle of creation was all about the sanctity of his presence. So you nailed it down really well before when you said getting them acceptable to be able to be before God. So holiness has to do with the sanctity of the presence of God in our lives. And if we're Christians, we've got to look at these Old Testament things and say, okay, it took a lot of very specific things for them to get ready to be able to be acceptable before God. What about me? 
What are the things that I have to do? So at first glance, holiness is not only rare, it's something that seems to take a lot of work to keep. Holiness is something special that looks to please God. What does this mean in a practical sense? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. Hopefully we can already see the stark difference between God's original initiation of holiness to humanity and the way we treat things now. To get to the practical application of what it means to be holy, we need to continue looking at how God arranged holiness for Israel right at the beginning. And and Jonathan, you know, God's pretty smart. He, Of course. (laughs) He sets Israel up and he teaches them from the ground up about what holiness really is. And we, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, can look back on that and just begin to glean the lessons and understand um, what, what we're supposed to do. Now, it's not a full understanding at this point, but it is, uh, it is something. Um, okay, so we're staying in the New, uh, Old Testament for now. For the newly freed people of Israel. Now, remember, they've just been freed from slavery, Okay. For these newly freed people of Israel, their next holiness lesson was one of the Ten Commandments. Now, all of the Ten Commandments are about holiness, but there is one very specific commandment that we want to zero in on, and that's the fourth commandment. Jonathan, that's in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so the fourth commandment, It's interesting, this commandment has the longest explanation of any of the ten. That is interesting. Yeah, you know, and and it's because, you know, when you think about it, you're you're looking at a day, setting aside this day, uh, and it reminds us, God's words to Moses, Moses' words to the people are, for in six days the Lord made heavens and earth, and sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. So, you see, when he sanctified it right at the beginning, he had in mind that as a way, an example to pass on to those chosen ones so they could come before him. And, Rick, God's message was clear. Stop, be clean, be quiet, and (laughs) honor him. Yeah, I like that. Very simple. Four things. Stop. Be clean. Be quiet. And then you can honor him. And, and I think that there's, a, there's great power in those words and that, that look at that fourth commandment. And it is a very sacred thing for Israel to keep the Sabbath. 
And, you know, and we, if we fast forward just for a quick moment to the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were all about, you know, keeping the Sabbath, but they were so ritually driven that they forgot the meaning. And Jesus had to show them that they had missed the whole meaning of what the Sabbath was. And eventually he told them, look, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I know what I'm talking about. But for Israel, and all the way back to Exodus now, keeping the Sabbath was proof to them that they were God's sanctified people. And when we say sanctified, I mean, okay, Jonathan, I'm saying, they're his sanctified people. When you hear that, what do you think of? Set apart for holy service. Set apart. They're different than everybody else. That's one of the things we look at for them. But the Sabbath was proof to them that they were sanctified. Exodus 31, uh, verse 13. But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. How are you going to know that? Because when you continually keep the Sabbath, if you truly keep it, not just, oh, it's the Sabbath, I'm not supposed to work today, oh, I have a holiday, but the Sabbath was stop, be clean, be quiet, and reverence God. That's what the Sabbath was really about. Um, And so, it says, you, by doing this, continually throughout your generations you will know that i am god who sets you apart and every week goes by remember don't forget remember you know we are leaky vessels right 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 you know <laughs> humanity and, yeah and, and it is it's such an important thing to just have that sense of constant reminder and that's what a lot of the law was a lot of the law was constant reminder that you're different than everybody else and some of the rituals of the wall, you look law, you look at it and you say, wow, those don't make a whole lot of sense. Well, they did, because it reminded them they were different. And there's real power, great, great power in that. Uh, matter of fact, let's go back to the Bible po- Project um, uh, on holiness. And this little uh, soundbite is about ritual purity. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. Yeah, I like the way they said it. You know, what, 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 you get yourself into trouble when you go waltzing into God's presence having not prepared. And yeah, I can see by your face. That's trouble. That's <laughs> big trouble, Rick. Well, it is, especially when you look at the way the Old Testament was set up. And literally, there were a lot of life and death things that, that could happen. I mean, yes. you remember the, the ritual about, you know, when they, whenever they had to move the, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, you know, that nobody was supposed to touch it, you know, That's right. and, and lest you die. And right. it happened where there were it was going over some some rocky ground and it looked like it was getting a little tipsy and somebody went to touch it and they died. You know, it's like God is is very very serious about this ritual sanctity about making them different. Let's go a little further now. They're wandering in the in the wilderness now, 
Now look, they haven't been entirely faithful because that's why they ended up wandering. Exodus 29, verses 43 to 46, introduces a whole new level of being holy before God. And remember, we're looking at these levels and we're building the case for what it means to be holy in the Old Testament before we look at the New. I will meet there with the sons of Israel. It shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of the meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So, Jonathan, this what is this talking about? It's talking about the tabernacle. Um, it's kind of a portable temple. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that you can fold out, set up, and, <laughs> and do the sacrifices that God uh, desires. And then when he says it's time to move, they move. Pack it up, move on to the next place, set, reset yeah. it. So, yeah. And that, that was really, really, really incredibly important, this, this, this purity that God wanted them to have, and he arranged for them to have the tools for it. So from a very basic Old Testament perspective, the firstborn were delivered by the blood of the lamb, and the nation was delivered as a result. Okay, so we're kind of tracking Israel here. So we as Christians are delivered first by the blood of Jesus, and the world follows. The firstborn were gods. They were redeemed, remember he said all the firstborn are mine, to be replaced by the priesthood. And so with us, we are now called a royal priesthood. There is a similarity. We are learning from the old and applying the principles to the new. All of this teaches us to carry the sanctity of holiness from Old Testament foundations into New Testament Christianity. So, Jonathan, let me just kind of sum this up a little bit before I ask you a specific question about kind of reviewing some of the Old Testament things. First, we had the lamb that was slain to deliver Israel. And then we had the law given to them as the a tool for them to be able to uh, be set apart. And then, as you mentioned, they were given the tabernacle, a portable temple in which the sacrifices could be made and they could properly honor God. A place. Yes, they had a place. So, and here's the interesting thing. These are three, in, in my mind, these are three different aspects of what being holy is all about expressed to us through the Old Testament. First, the Lamb gave Israel freedom to be, freedom to live, because without the blood of the lamb around those doorposts... They're dead. Right. The firstborn were dead, and there's yep. no deliverance. Right. Okay? So the firstborn are delivered, and through their deliverance, everybody else can follow. But the lamb gave them freedom to be, freedom to live. The law gave them freedom to follow God. Now, some people might look at that and say, yeah, right, freedom. The law was very restrictive. Absolutely. And that's freedom, because what it did is it kept them from sin in their actions in many, 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 many ways. And that, my friends, is real true freedom. So the Lamb gave them, gave them freedom to be. The law gave them freedom to follow. And the tabernacle, that portable temple you were describing, gave them freedom to access God's providence by putting themselves before God through their priesthood and doing things the way God arranged for them so God could bless them in all kinds of different ways and God could communicate with them. 
So it's kind of cool. You see this development process in the Old Testament that's teaching us about holiness. So what are some real practical lessons that we can apply based on what we've already seen regarding the Old Testament uh, uh, expressions of holiness? Well, Rick, practically, we can take the rituals of the Israelites and actually spiritualize them. And it really is a picture of the Christian walk. But just to touch on a, a couple pictures, okay. symbols, uh, the priesthood would have to go to what they call a laver to wash. So now this is this this is in, in relation to the tabernacle you're talking about. Now. Yeah, in the tabernacle. Okay. Yeah. Before they they um, they offered the sacrifice of a bullock or a goat or whatever was was required, they would have to wash at this laver, and and that really pictures a, a cleansing for the Christian, a cleansing of your heart to be made ready to, to honor God, a, mm-hmm. a clean up the, the defilements of, of your mind and your body so that you can be acceptable. Uh, the other is, say the bullock was put on the, the altar. Well, that bullock represented, that sacrifice actually represented Jesus. And for the Christian, if you saw that bullock and you believed, there is the first step to move towards God, having faith in the blood of that sacrifice. So, and then, of course, you know, then you go into the holy, and then there's the most holy, and there's all those other things in those rooms. And there's so many pictures in there, which right. are amazing. So, really, a lot of what they were given at the very beginning and throughout the Old Testament are lessons for us. They are there. Yes to teach us how to be holy. Now, why do we need those lessons? That's a really good question that we're going to get to in the next couple of segments. But we really do need them because the way holiness is arranged now is a little different. So let's kind of wrap up our Old Testament look here. What's our honoring holiness wrap-up for the Old Testament? The reverent Old Testament approach to holiness taught through ritual, timing, and sacrifices opens the door for we as Christians, to begin to understand how to be holy before God. See, to be holy before God is not some thing that you say, I've got a gut feeling about this. This is not a place for gut feelings. This is a place for following a process that God lays out. In the Old Testament, it was very specific, very clear, and very detailed as to what to do to be recognized as holy. So we need to remember those things as we approach holiness you know, in New Testament times. So now let's shift gears and let's talk about the New Testament just for a couple minutes in this segment, then we're going to really expand it in the next segment. Now, the New Testament, how does God transfer the idea of holiness from the Old Testament to the New? What does he do? What's different? What's the same? Let's go to John 10, 33 to 37. And Jonathan, this is where I think we begin to find some very startling things about holiness in the New Testament. The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, made yourself out to be a god. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, You are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? 
if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. So Jesus is having this discussion, and you know, the first words of that we dropped in on the middle of this conversation, and the Jews answer him, well, we're not about to stone you. I mean, they're ready to kill him, okay? <laughs> they're ready to kill Jesus. We don't going to stone you for good, for good works, but we're going to stone you because, uh, for blasphemy, because you said you made yourself out to be God. Now, first of all, Jesus did not make himself out to be God. Let's be clear. And in his explanation, he describes himself as he whom the Father sanctified and whom the Father sent. Wow, Rick. He's simply saying, I am the one God set apart. I, Jesus, am holy. Right. When you think of holy, and now the Pharisees figured they knew all about holiness because they were all about rituals. But Jesus is telling them to their faces, I am holy. And he's Whoa. saying, yeah. That must have made an impact, Rick. <laughs> because they thought that they had cornered the market on holiness. And Jesus is essentially telling them, there is no market to corner on holiness. I am the one God set apart. And, you know, the, the, the word where he says sanctified, that was one of those words we talked about. It was, I am the one who was purified, who was consecrated by God, who was set apart for this very, very, very holy work. It's me, Jesus. And that is, Jonathan, that is a, a dramatic statement of truth. And he says that to them, you're the ones blaspheming because I am actually the embodiment of holiness because God himself sent me. And proof positive because... I am doing the work of my Father from heaven. Right, right. And that ends up being one of the key factors for understanding what real, true holiness is, is doing the work of the Father in heaven by following his will entirely. So God specifically set Jesus apart as a man, uniquely put in place for God's own holy purposes. So the centerpiece of holiness in the New Testament is obviously Jesus. And Jesus yes. himself proclaims that to be true. So with all of the work set out in the Old Testament to be sanctified, God hit a holiness reset button with Jesus. It's no surprise that Jesus was set apart. Who else in the New Testament belongs in that category? Rick and Jonathan are so busy analyzing how today's issues can be solved by a scriptural approach, they naturally don't talk a lot about who they are in daily life. So that's my job. Here's a couple facts you may not have known about your two hosts, such as, for some reason when Rick wears a tie, it always has an animal on it. Why? We don't know. That's just his preference. Now, Jonathan may not love animal ties, but he has a cool rescue dog named Beta. And now you know more about your Christian Questions hosts. Talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan. As we begin to look at the New Testament, we need to pay close attention to who is considered holy and who is not. The answer to these questions may at first be a bit puzzling, as they're probably different than we might expect. But wait for the end result of these answers, and they will end up making perfect sense. So, Jonathan, as we go through this next section now, it really, and we were talking before the podcast, and this, this is a little surprising, isn't it? 
Oh, it, it definitely took me by surprise. But I am not going to let you off the hook. Why do you wear animal ties? Uh, <laughs> I love to I, – I, you know what? First of all, let, let's understand that I, I am an animal liker in terms of pets. I, you know, I am not okay. the one – the person who has to have a pet, but I am certainly happy with pets. I can do really well without them. I just asked my wife. <laughs> But I love the the beauty of God's creation, and when I see the animal kingdom in its in its environment, I just to me that's a way to see godliness, and I just love the idea of, of sort of wearing that as part of a reminder that look at what God created, look at the beauty in that, and that's, that's God honoring. It Very is for, for me. That's that's what it is. Um, All right. Okay. Um, let, let's take a, a, an alternate look at holiness for a second here, okay? This is going to be weird because we're building up this big crescendo, but let's stop. Let's do a little man-on-the-street type of thing from Auto Film Productions, and they're asking people what holiness is. And, of course, these are just regular people, so you can imagine that the answers are not going to be anything remotely close to what we've been talking about. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word Holy. It makes me think of the Lord. Cow. God. Church. Cheese. Holy cheese. God. Underwear. <laughs> Sorry. Purity. Cheese. A cow. <laughs> I see. I saw a cross in my mind when you said holy, and then. The color yellow. I don't know why. <laughs> My jeans, actually. <laughs> okay, you got everything from jeans to cheese to, you know, and you think about it, and, and the interesting thing about that, and the reason we played that, was because it gives you a sense of what we don't know, what we don't know, what we don't stop to understand and appreciate about God in the world in which we live. And, you know, people can make all kinds of fun jokes and so forth about holiness and all of that. But, you know, it is such a such a deep and profound subject. We need to begin to understand it. Excellent. And, and Rick, I was trying to think of a few words that came to mind with the subject. And I, I try to think of a picture and it's it's hard to to put it into a picture, the word holy. But I was thinking of pure and clean, two mm. simple words that came came to my 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 mind. You know, and, and and that makes a whole lot of sense. And because that to come before God, that's what we need to try to fit into. Now look, let's understand right from the start. We can never be totally we are not pure and clean on our own. We are pure and clean through Jesus. Let's be clear, let's be concise, let's not walk outside of that, but we have a lot that we can do and understand to be able to make good use of the cleanliness of Jesus. And that's really what the rest of this podcast is about. So, Jonathan, let's talk about some people in the New Testament who were not who were not called holy. The first significant individuals of the entire New Testament are actually the parents of John the Baptist, Zacharias and Elizabeth. We're going to read portions of Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, about Zacharias and Elizabeth, and listen to how they are described. There was a priest named Zacharias, and he had a wife, Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. 
But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were advanced in years. So, Jonathan, now I'm not picking and choosing specific verses. I went through all of the verses that described Elizabeth and Zacharias, and this is the the most clear their description is. They are described as righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So they're called righteous and blameless. But are they called holy? No, they're not. But but why? <laughs> that, my friend, is a good question. Because they are going to be used to be the parents of John the Baptist, the greatest prophet known to man. And yet they're not called holy. Now, it's interesting. Remember, Elizabeth, after she conceives, and she's, she's six months along in her pregnancy, then Mary uh, conceives also, and Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And further down in Luke chapter 1, in verse 41, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So you've got okay. a, an attachment to holiness there. Right. Okay, so let's remember that. That's a, that's a fact about Elizabeth. Okay. But it's interesting that in their description, they're not called holy. And you scratch your head and say, man, I mean, these people are wonderful. Why wouldn't they be called holy? But hold that thought. What about when the angel Gabriel was addressing Mary? Let's go to Luke, again, chapter 1. Verses 28 to 30, because there, here's the next most significant person in, uh, in the, the New Testament at the very beginning, is Mary, the young mother-to-be of Jesus. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Okay, so Gabriel discusses with her, tells her about her favor, and her response is a few verses down in verse uh, in Luke one thirty-eight. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, so Jonathan, how is Mary being described here? Well, Rick, uh, Mary is favored and has God with her. But she isn't called holy. No, no, she's not. Now that, again, you say, well, wait a minute. Well, why not? Yeah, why? I mean, what are we missing? And believe me when I tell you, when you look at the scriptures and you look for those words that mean holy, now again, later on, she is filled with the Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit, you know, well, the, the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, comes upon her so that, that, that she can conceive a child. So she has interaction, in a sense, with the Holy Spirit, just like Elizabeth did. But neither of them are called holy. The thing about Mary that we know is later on she did become a follower of Jesus. And so we would expect that she would fit into the category of those who, who would follow after Jesus. But at this point, the, 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 the mother of our Lord is not described as holy. She's described as favored and having God's uh, presence with her, and she describes herself as his bond slave, but not a word about being holy. You say, wait, 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 how can that be? Well, let's go even further, okay? Jesus is born. He's eight days old, and now we come to Simeon the prophet. Remember, he's the old man who's in the temple, and there's a wonderful song about Simeon. Uh, I, I, I love the song because it tells his story, and he saw Jesus as a baby, 
let's listen to how he is described by Scripture. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 27. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Okay. So Simeon is called righteous and devout, and he's got God's Spirit working with him. But Jonathan, he is not called holy. And he's a prophet. Yes, he's a prophet, but he's not called holy. And you say, okay, are we nitpicking here? I don't know. This is a pattern, isn't it? It is a pattern. Okay, this is a pattern. So why would they not be called holy? These are some of the great, great great examples we have at the beginning of the new testament and we th- and it's like how how could how could how could they not be holy now look we're not saying they don't have holiness okay we're just saying that they are not called holy and there is a reason there is a very clear and specific reason for this that we'll get to so let's now go to the next to the big one john the baptist yes john the All baptist right. was he called holy well yes and no and you think, what are, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Well, when we look at the words for holy in the, in the New Testament, and folks, I w- we would encourage you to do this. Look up those words. See when and where they're used and see how they're used. It will help you really see some things about the depth and sacredness of what God talks about by being called to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what we're getting into very, very, very soon. Let's, let's look at John the Baptist here for a moment. Luke chapter, well, a few, few moments. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Now, this is when the angel is prophesying or, or speaking to Zacharias, his father. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, while yet in his mother's womb. So it's saying he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you notice that John himself is not called holy. Now remember, Jesus called himself holy because I am sanctified one. I am the holy one. Consecrated from God. Right. Yes. Right. So there's a difference here. What's the difference? Well, let's take a look at, because there is a reference to John being a holy man. That's in Mark chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. This is the only verse in the New Testament that speaks of John as a, quote, holy man. But it's from Herod. That's you know, a man, a king, not from God. And, and you know, so, and, and here's the thing. We are making a distinction, a very precise distinction about holiness in the New Testament because the New Testament is making it. And so we're, we're, we're trying to, to drive the point home by looking at these incredible examples of faithfulness, of righteousness, of godliness, of doing the right thing. And all of these examples were all of those things in a huge way. And we can learn, you know, you know, you look at the work that John the Baptist did, Jonathan, and you look at the kind of work that we might do, and you say, oh, well, we're, we're done. 
<laughs> he was he was courageous yes, and strong absolutely. in everything. So it's not what we're, what we're not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination is any of these individuals were less, but they were not considered quote holy in the New Testament. And there's again, we've got to get to the reason why. So Herod calls John holy, but no one else does. He's holy in a sense of being a prophet of God, and we know that in Acts chapter three, verse twenty-one whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. So here is an interesting hint about holiness in the New Testament. And in the next segment, we're really going to unfold holiness in the New Testament. And, and folks, what we see is, is it's astounding. But when you, in, in, in the scripture in Acts, it's talking about the mouth of God's holy prophets. They were consecrated, set-aside mouthpieces. They were set aside for that specific work. So there was holiness there, but they were not themselves holy ones in the New Testament. And we're focusing specifically on the New Testament. It's like, okay, enough already. (laughs) What is with all of this talk about them not being holy in the New Testament? He was, John the Baptist was a holy prophet of God, but he's not addressed in the same way as Jesus' disciples are. And yet, yet, let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 28, because you've got to understand the power and glory and faithfulness of John the Baptist. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So, Rick, uh, the question begs, what does the kingdom of God here, what's it referring to? So, this is interesting because we're, we're in, uh, from, from one perspective, we're saying John was great and he was godly and he did things that most of us would never, ever, 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 ever have the guts to do. And, and yet we're saying what Jesus said in describing him is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And what Jesus is saying is holiness. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but holiness is changing. Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is made up of those who are the footstep followers of Jesus. And that was shown to us after Jesus died and was raised on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. That was the big change. That kind of thing had never happened before. And even though John had use of the Holy Spirit, it did not dwell within him. He was filled with it, but it wasn't there to stay. There's a difference. You know, he was not called a new creature. We're going to get into all of those things coming up. So the kingdom of God here, Jonathan, is about the called out ones who follow Jesus. And the holy prophets are on a level based on what their relationship with God that is different than the called out ones of Jesus and then Jesus himself. That's the difference. So our honoring holiness um, phrase uh, or or, uh, wrap-up for this particular uh, segment. New Testament holiness begins with Jesus and is about something higher than Old Testament holiness could ever offer. And so when we look at the examples of Zacharias and Elizabeth and 
uh, Mary before Jesus is born, and Simeon, and John the Baptist, the commonality between all of them is they are essentially Old Testament characters. Because the New Testament begins with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the difference. So God, in viewing them in the New Testament, says, I see you as faithful, as honored, as righteous, as obedient, as favored, but it's different in the New Testament. That is huge. That is a huge huge difference. And again, we're going to really begin to unfold that in the next segment. I mean, hopefully we can we begin to see that there's a lot going on here. It seems like holiness has taken some kind of mysterious turn. Outside of Jesus, who else is holy? Jesus truly is the author of our faith. What then should we expect Christian holiness to look like? There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry, we never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Here is where we will begin to see the highest form of holiness ever offered to the human race begin to unfold. We now need to look for what the standard of Christian holiness actually looks like. To proclaim to be holy is one thing. To live up to God's standard of holiness is entirely something else. And that is what we want to look into and become uh, focused on as we go through this segment and the following segment, is what does it all really truly mean? Let's go back to the Bible Project one last time, Jonathan, on holiness. And this is talking about Jesus. And this is kind of an interesting perspective on looking at Jesus and the different, the way he was different than everyone. Until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding, or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus, but instead Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple. So the interesting thing about it is, and, and, and I just want to expand this for a moment. You know, they talked about in the Old Testament how, um, you know, to be ritually pure, you couldn't touch things that were unclean. You know, blood, people who had died and so forth, you just couldn't. That would make you ritually un, un, impure. And yet Jesus would put his hands on people with leprosy and blindness, and he would put his and 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 he would transfer to them life instead of them transferring to him death and the germs and all of those things. You think that's an incredible reversal. How is that reversal possible? By God's Spirit. That's how. Because that's what Jesus used as a man, to take 
the sinfulness of sin and essentially say, stop right there. I have power over you. It's an amazing thing. That is. That's awesome. So first of all, Jesus by every measure is the standard of holiness. Even the demons of his time knew it. Luke four thirty three to 34. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he called out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Now that's from the words of a fallen angel. That's from the words of somebody who knew of God, knew of God's plans, was in a state of partial darkness, well, of of great darkness and partial blindness, but he could recognize the power and and majesty of Jesus himself. And he said, I know who you are. What what are you doing here? What's happening? Aren't, Aren't you, don't we still have a lease on our lives before you come to destroy us, essentially? And he called him the Holy One of God. He knew. This fallen angel knew that Jesus simply didn't, have holiness, didn't use holiness, he was holy. Peter proclaimed the same thing at Pentecost, Acts chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So Peter says specifically to his Jewish brethren, you disowned the holy and righteous one. So, you know, you've got righteousness, and we remember, you know, uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias and Simeon and Mary were all described in that way. That's right. But this is different. This is higher. This is the holy one. So Jesus is unequivocally recognized as holy, period. So now, let's get to it. Here's where it gets really interesting, Jonathan. Frankly, a little scary, I think. Okay. Where do we, as followers of Jesus, fit into all of this? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And this, folks, pay close attention. This is amazing stuff. To the church of God, which is in Corinth... To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is the first letter to the Corinthians by the Apostle Paul. Now remember, in this letter... He has to do a lot of correcting because they're kind of messed up. Yeah, they're, they're in a city that uh, sin runs rampant. And that's where they came from. Yes. And, and so by coming to Christ, they had an awful lot to undo. Yes. So in this letter, now let, let's, let's put this in perspective. He has got to do a lot of serious, deep, corrective work. And here's how he starts it. Does he start out by saying... You, oh, you Corinthians, you have so disappointed me in your your application of what I taught you earlier. No, he's <laughs> comes to them, and we are sanctified in Jesus, you and I. Okay, so he is putting 
them in the same boat as he is. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now that word for sanctified was from the, the, the first segment we talked about. Purified or consecrated. Set apart. Okay? Sanctified. You have been consecrated in Jesus. So he's recognizing them as holy. That's right. That's the, that's the same word that Jesus used to describe himself earlier on when he was talking to the Pharisees. And the Apostle Paul is using that to describe the, the, the followers of Christ at the, in the city of Corinth, which were kind of messed up. Go ahead. And Rick, then he follows it up with, you're the called out ones, which are called saints. Okay, called saints. Now we know that, but what is the thing about the word saints? Well, it actually means holy, doesn't it, Rick? Yeah, it's the exact same word as if you go back to the Acts 3, 13 and 14 scripture with um, Peter, and he says, you disowned the holy one. Mm -hmm. That word holy, holy one, is the same word for saints. Wow. Same word. So, sanctified, consecrated, in Christ Jesus, holy by calling. You were called, and you are holy. This is where we find true holiness in the New Testament. And remember, he's writing to Christians who had a lot of trouble, and yet this is how he addresses them. So, it's saying we are sanctified in Jesus, made holy, purified, or consecrated. We are the called out ones who are called saints, called sacred. That's what the, that's what the, the, the word actually means. Go ahead. And hey Rick, uh, just to clarify, how was this different from the Old Testament Holy Spirit that we you know, talked about with prophets and those that had, had done work for God? Well, you know, the, the, the huge difference is that the Spirit here, Jesus told us in John 14 and, and 15 and 16 that, that God would send the Comforter, the Spirit, to dwell with us versus with the Old Testament prophets, they had use of the Spirit. It was kind of like rental versus ownership. Now, you know, and I want to make sure we're clear because it's not like we own the Spirit. That's not what I'm trying to say. But they had the spirit and its power and its influence externally for a time. Temporary and yes. permanent. Right, right. Versus being, having the spirit, and Pentecost showed us this, the, that, that came to dwell within us, the power and influence of God dwelling in us, and that's what makes us holy. So when we talked about all those individuals in the New Testament who weren't called holy— this is the reason why. This is the reason. Because the Spirit, while they had use of it, they had access to it, it did not dwell in and with them. See, we're sanctified. We're made holy by God himself through his Spirit. Um, and we're going to get to First Peter 1, verses 2 and 3 there. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. My, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy 
has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, by the consecrating work of the Spirit. That's what makes a Christian a real, true Christian. Without the Spirit, we can have Christ, we can have Christian-like thoughts and desires, and it's all good, but it's not the same as being begotten of God's Spirit. That is what makes holiness. And, you know, in, in this verse, it's talking, it says, causing us to be born again. The word is technically different subject, different study, but it means to be begotten again. Of the Spirit. Right. And when we're begotten of the Spirit, we are begotten of a new life. And that's where in, I don't I think it's, I can't remember, it's first or second Corinthians, I think it's 517. It says, when any man has become a new creature, uh, behold, all old things are passed away, all things are become new. That's a begettal to a new kind of life. That is what is holy. Jonathan, you and I, we're a mess, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Human nature. Yes, we are a mess. (laughs) Yes, and it doesn't seem to ever get any better. Well, we work at it. (laughs) We do. We do. We really do try. But this is the difference. This is where holiness takes its roots in the power of the Spirit. And when the word saints is used, it means us, and it means holy if we are, in fact, begotten by the Spirit. So to have God's Spirit is to be engaged in the work of being more and more set apart for his purpose. And that's the key, isn't it? It is. It's doing, that's what Jesus was. Jesus was set apart for the purpose of God. Remember the Isaiah scripture, you know, the, the you know, prophetically tell, telling us what was going on in heaven, you know, whom shall I send? And the word says, here am I, send me. me to do the work to accomplish God's plan. So we're sanctified, made holy by God himself through his spirit, and the next thing is we are sanctified, made holy by God's word. John 17, verses 15 through 19. This is Jesus praying um, that, that prayer for all of his followers the night before his crucifixion. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So this is really interesting. Um, in that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse, it said, we have been sanctified in the Lord Jesus, okay, in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. In the 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, it said, sanctified by the work of God's Spirit. So we're sanctified in Jesus. The sanctifying, the, the consecrating, the setting apart is by the work of the Spirit. And now in John 17, Jesus is saying, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay? And that means set them apart in accordance because your word guides them. So what we're seeing then is holiness in the New Testament is not just one little thing. It's not like you get this drop of holy water on your head and boom, you're different. 
It is a transformational process where the Spirit has to do its work. That's what First Peter said, where the Word of God has to begin to take over our hearts and our minds. That's what Jesus said in John 17. And we are sanctified because of the blood of Jesus. That was in First Corinthians chapter 1. So, Jonathan, it's a, it's a big deal. And holiness in the New Testament is reserved for Jesus and his followers. And that word saints means holy. Wherever we see the word saint or saints in the New Testament, it means a holy follower of Christ. Look it up. Prove it to yourself. It's the same word the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, holy and saint. Exact same word. And that's that. Go ahead, I'm sorry. And, and I was thinking of the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers the filthiness and the yuckiness of our flesh. It's only by God's grace that that robe makes us acceptable, Rick. Well, you know, and, and that's, that's a really, really deeply important part of this whole thing. Because we can't claim anything of our own accord. That's right. Nothing. Not one thing. You know, and, and, and the interesting thing is like in the Old Testament and the difference between the Old and the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, they were the, the nation was made holy by the sacrifices, by the atonement sacrifices that were offered year after year after year. And that sort of renewed their holiness. But it was only a temporary thing. Right. And in Hebrews it says, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, but the blood of Jesus. That is the sacrifice. And that is what we are made holy by. We can misuse that. Make no mistake. We can mess it up. Make no mistake. But God considers us holy because, like you said, we are covered by the righteousness of Christ's sacrifice. That's the difference between the old and the new. It's there to stay. This is what God's plan is. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. The apostle is being just amazingly generous, if you will, in his description and calling those he's writing to holy, to all the holy ones. And in the New Testament, that is not used for just anybody. What's our honoring holiness wrap-up statement for this segment? Our holiness comes to us as a result of, first, being called of God, and second, our accepting that call to walk in Jesus' footsteps. And third, God's accepting with his gift of the Holy Spirit given to us. To follow this path is to be holy in God's eyes. So you, it's, it's being called, it's responding to the call, and it's God accepting our response. That creates an environment of holiness. And that, Jonathan, is something deeply, deeply sacred and wonderful that none of us could ever, ever, ever deserve. In some ways, the sanctity of being a Christian is scary. What could we possibly do to deserve this? We are given an open door to holiness, 
what must we do to attain and maintain that holy standing? We have a simple yet powerful request for you. Can you think of someone who'd enjoy listening to this podcast? Send them a text message right now. Tell them to check out our Christian Questions podcast. That's one of the great ways to spread the word. Thank you for sharing our weekly conversation with every single person you know. Well, who you want to tell is still up to you. Thanks for texting and listening. Let's go back to Rick and Jonathan as we take a closer look at our topic. We have seen how holiness has developed from the Old Testament ways and rituals to the New Testament followers of Jesus and the begetting of God's Spirit. Just because we're labeled as holy does not mean it's a free ride. Now, let's look at what we must do to maintain holiness before God. And, you know, Jonathan, again, we're given this holiness because of Jesus' sacrifice and because of God's call. And we have to respond, and God then has to accept, and then we become, we belong to Jesus. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Another word I thought of, Rick, before the program uh, was noble. The word holy is noble. Now look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I noble to those around me? Am I representing Christ to the point of being noble? Yeah, thanks for that. That's sobering. Yeah, yeah, thanks. You know, way to depress me there, brother. (laughs) Really, I mean, what we're talking about is so lofty, and it is kind of scary, because when you realize that the New Testament is written to a very specific group of individuals, and, you know, if, if, look, if you're not a Christian and you're reading the New Testament, God bless you, keep reading it. You know, hopefully you can learn something, and hopefully maybe you're being drawn by God. You have to be called. I mean, let's understand that, to this high calling. And remember, all of the world gets salvation, but the firstborn, just like in Israel, first. So the firstborn are the ones who are called holy in the New Testament. Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own choosing, if you will. So those of us who are not part of that— and kind of looking in, you're reading somebody else's mail. Now, you can kind of get it, but there's a whole lot more to it, and that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. So now let's get back to uh, our theme text as we look at what do we need to do on our part to maintain this incredible, incredible gift. Second Corinthians seven one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Again, holiness. Now that's a slightly different word, but it comes from that same word for saint and holy. Okay? It's so still got the sense of you know the 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 sacredness, perfecting sacredness in the fear of God. Something uh, I noticed in this verse, that word fear of God, oftentimes that word fear means reverence of God. Right. In this case, Rick, this word in the Strong's Concordance means fright. Interesting. In the fright of God. That shows the responsibility and accountability that we have. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's bigger than we can imagine. And and, and like I said, it, in, for me, Jonathan, doing some of the study to get ready for this, it was a scary time because it's like, really? It's, you know, and you kind of know it, but then you don't know it until you really look at it. You say, it's that deep? And, and, and when we realize that Simeon, in the New Testament, wasn't called holy because he wasn't begotten of the Spirit. 
if we are begotten, we are called holy. That's amazing. Does, mm. Doesn't lessen who Simeon was, what he did, the power of his sacrifice and his obedience, which will be incredibly rewarded. But it's different than the call of the, of the true church. So, so perfecting holiness. Can we perfect anything? That word actually can, can mean perfecting. It can also mean accomplishing or completing. So we've got to accomplish holiness as we are, because we are afraid of God because this is so much bigger than we are. How do we do this? We need to work on the holiness, the saintliness planted within us. How? Well, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Drop in on a few verses there. First, verses 14, uh, 14 through 15, and then we'll do 16 through 18 afterwards. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership hath righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So this is interesting. Now, this has multiple levels of meaning, but don't be bound together with unbelievers. Now, part of this meaning, and I really believe that part of this is in relation to a marriage covenant. If you are a thoroughly dedicated Christian, you should not be, according to Scripture, marrying somebody who's not. And, and the apostle goes on to say, well, because what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? And you can say, well, that person's a good person. I'm sure they are. But are they righteous? Because remember, righteousness in the Bible is not just doing right in earthly ways. Righteousness in the Bible has to do with godliness. And godliness has to do with knowing God. What fellowship has light with darkness? Again, you can say, well, they, 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 they have, they're, they're good and moral. I'm sure they are. But the light in Scripture is not just simple the light of day, but it's the light of godly righteousness. So the first thing, Jonathan, is whether it be marriage or any other commitment, we've got to be careful about how we commit ourselves to, with those who are not, uh, not believers. And be separate, just like the Israelites had to be separate. Right. Now, look, in the work world, I mean, I, I, I have a, a run of business and I have people that work with me and uh, none of which really are uh, dedicated Christians, you know, you know, see things the way I do. And we get along great, you know, because we are in an environment where we, there are specific rules and regulations. And for me, that's everything. And we're and, and you know, they, they love to tease me. Uh, because I'm the do-it-by-the-book guy. And, you know, they, they love to just make jokes about not doing it by the book just to watch my face. But I know that every one of them is really clear. And so we do well. And, and, and you know, but that's not, as, as good as that is, that's not what life is all about. Life is about something higher, something bigger. Let's continue, verses 16 through 18 of Second Corinthians chapter 6. For what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Oh, just pa as... pause right there, man. Just, <laughs> okay. just stop right there. Look at that sentence. We are the temple of the living God. Why? Because we have the Spirit. That's why. God's influence dwells in you. That is why you are holy. How did you get there? Because of Jesus. That's how. Not because you're so smart. Not because you're so good, because of Jesus and then God's call. Go ahead. Just as God said, 
I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So again, Jonathan, this part of these verses is about the same thing, being separate, being different, because you are different by very nature now. Now, this doesn't mean we, we don't have our flesh to have to deal with. We already talked about this, but I think we need to bring it up again. We need okay. to understand that this is an internal battle that we have to fight. And we want to be as clean as possible. <laughs> and we fall continually. Yes, we do. And the key is to get up continually and ask for forgiveness. And the problem is, Rick, when you think you've got it under control, then <laughs> boom, you knock down another peg to prove, no, nope, you yeah. can't do it on your own. Right. And that's the key. It comes through Christ and the power and influence of God. When you have the sacrifice of Christ that has been, the blood that has been shed for you personally, and the power and influence of God working in your lives, those are two of the greatest forces this world will ever, ever, ever know. We just need to be compliant to both of them. That's what we need to do. Holiness means walking a different walk than the world in all ways. Among them, but do not be the same as them. We are among them, and it's okay, and we should be great examples to them. It doesn't mean that every word that comes out of your mouth has to be a scripture. You know, what it does mean, though, like you were saying, one of the, 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 the words that you were using to describe holiness was noble. To have that higher nobility that people look at you and see you in a different light than they see others. They may not even know why, but do they see us in that different light? And that, that's a cool thing. First Thessalonians 4, verses 2 through 8, we'll stop in the middle. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, again, this is one of those words that we used right at the beginning of the podcast. This is the, 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 the third word, which means, you know, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your purification, your purity. This is what makes you different, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, why in scriptures do you have to get as, as basic as sexual immorality? Because sex is part of humanity, that's why. And, right. and just because you're called of God, it doesn't mean you're called out of your humanness. You are called to develop yourself within the context of your humanness to be godly in spite of it. And that's why this is such a clear-cut, exacting uh, uh, command, you, that you know how to possess your own vessel, your body, in purity, sanctification, and honor not in passion. So holiness means keeping our desires, especially inappropriate ones, absolutely in check. And Rick, God knows all, even our thoughts. And that made me think of 2 Peter 3.11. What sort of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Yeah, you know, what kind of person? And again, that comes back, I just keep thinking of that word nobility that you dropped in at the beginning of the segment. 
how are you being noble if you can't give a spiritual witness? Are you giving a noble witness? Because that's what holiness demands of us. It demands us to have nobility. It demands of us to have the highest levels of integrity that we can possibly have. That's what holiness requires. That's why it's different. That's why there are so few in the New Testament who are given that label. And remember, they're not called holy prophets. They're just simply called holy. That's amazing. That's amazing, and that's kind of scary. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 6 through 8. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting men, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay, so the first part of the Thessalonian scripture was about um, carrying your body as a vessel of purity. And now this is about carrying your mind as a vessel of purity, about not transgressing and defrauding your brother. Leave vengeance to God. He can handle it. And he's, you know what? He's going to handle it a whole lot better than you could ever dream of. So just let, right. it, let, it, let it go. You know, you have to have your, carry yourself in that purity because we have been given God's Holy Spirit to us. Holiness means keeping our impure reactions and responses to others from being expressed. You know, Jonathan, I can, it's going to sound weird to say this, but I can safely say that a lot of my reactions inside of my head aren't, aren't very repeatable. They're mm. not, they don't honor God. If I were to speak them, it wouldn't be honoring to God. And by God's grace, many times he helps me to keep my mouth shut. Because <laughs> I need to. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, because it's me talking. And that's not what we want. We want God's Spirit to speak through us. Second Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. That's a beautiful scripture. If we do go about the work of cleansing ourselves, which means we have to do the work, okay, we can be a vessel for honor that is sanctified. It's got that purity, useful to the master. I mean, think about that. You want to be useful to Jesus? Here's how. You know, that's what being holy is. So our honoring holiness uh, statement as we begin to wrap this up. To be a true Christian is to be holy. To be a true saint is to not take that gift for granted, but to daily sacrifice and work so we may maintain and grow the holy gift of God in us. So if you are a true follower of Christ, which means you have had the blood of Jesus applied to you, you have been called of God, you accepted the call, God accepted you and granted you his spirit, you are holy. And that, as we have seen through this entire podcast, is an amazing thing to speak of anyone. But it's true. But what are we doing with that holiness? Because we can mess it up and we can dilute it or we can allow it to grow within us. So, folks, as we begin to wrap this up, our prayer for you and for all of us regarding the extraordinary privilege of holiness 
that we are now given comes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus and with all his saints. And again, at the return of Jesus, one of the aspects of the return of Jesus is the gathering together of his saints, all of his holy ones, and they together will be instruments of instituting the kingdom of God through Christ. How does Jesus do that? Well, he has recruited through the last 2,000 years holy saints, holy individuals who are willing to follow after the will of God through Christ, walk those footsteps, and be different than everybody else around them. That's what holiness is. It's not simply being better. It's not just being different. It's being different by being dedicated to the will of God, to the way of God, to the word of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus and the begetting of God's Spirit. Folks, if you are there, you are holy. Do not, do not, do not take that for granted, but use it with all of your might so that you could be a vessel of honor, pleasing to God. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It certainly has been an interesting, amazing subject and a lot of revelation in terms of what holiness is. You're a Christian. Are you holy? Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, (laughs) coming up next week, what does a marriage need to be strong? You'll want to be here for that one. Talk to you next week.